are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion. This is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeff Grossenbach here in Vancouver, British Columbia at Canada on Rails. Very special guest today, Tim Bray, uh, developer, inventor of XML and working at Sun. And we also have Obi Fernandez, who's going to tag team with me uh, for this little interview. So welcome. Howdy. I, I, I push back on inventor. No, not inventor. Co- co-inventor. Okay. There were lots of people in the room. Co-inventor. Oh, you didn't invent the internet, too. <laughs> so uh, it was pretty exciting to see you here. You're actually a big fan of Ruby, aren't you? Oh, I am, yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of, of the whole dynamic languages space and the whole web framework space, and so Rails is kind of right in the white-hot center right. of both those areas, and since I live in Vancouver, how could I say no? Exactly, right? It's just convenient. So, so the objections to XML config files don't offend you? Uh I, I think that the XMLness is a red herring. The objections to config files at all, okay. I, I agree with entirely. <laughs> <laughs> so the convention over configuration makes sense to you? It does. I don't think it's going to work as a universal rule for all applications, but there is obviously a huge sweet spot for Greenfield web applications, especially that have a big uh, CRUD component. Um, you know, I think, I think the Rails has proved that you can abstract enough out enough uh, common behavior that you know just go with the flow and everything becomes immensely easier. I, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be uh, still a space where you do need these super flexible, flexible super tailorable applications, but uh, maybe it's not uh, as big a space as we thought. So, how did you hear about Rails and? How'd you get clued into the, you know, what was cool about it? Usual thing. I read blogs. I go to O'Reilly conferences. I uh, uh, went and got, I read the Agile book and uh, fiddled around with it a little myself. And, okay. And said, yeah, yeah, I like this. You're- I, I uh, although you know, I, I think Rails is important. But looking back five years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if Ruby the language turns out to be a bigger deal than, than Rails the framework. Why do you well, say that? Because uh, I think that uh, a higher and higher proportion of all software development is going to be done in dynamic languages as opposed to you know statically typed languages the way it is now. Not 100%, but a higher and higher proportion. And of those, I think Ruby is the best one out there. You work for Sun Microsystems. Uh, what do people at Sun think about Ruby? I mean, how do they see it affecting Java? Uh, well, there's two separate. Those are two separate questions. Okay. Um, Let's tackle the first in, one first. In terms of Ruby, uh, we are, after all, a seller of systems. We like to sell computers for people okay. to run software on. And so, as a Sun shareholder, as a Sun shareholder, I'm a huge Ruby fan because okay. uh, I think I see a hotbed of creativity and innovation and creation of great new software. And I think that uh, you're going to need computers to run the, that software on, and we want to sell it. So actually, I'll let you plug your new uh, computers that are that are coming. They're ma- they're massively scalable yeah. in the way that Rails scales, right? Absolutely. Um, the, the, you know, the scalable web frameworks. And let's be honest. I think we kind of learned this lesson from PHP. Let's right. admit it. Okay. Uh, have to be shared nothing, right? right? You know, you have to have this highly horizontal. And so, uh, at the same time. The guys who build chips have been running in smack into a brick wall, and Moore's Law still lets you put, you know, twice as many chips on the on, uh, transistors on the chip 
every 18 months. But you can't make them run faster. But you can't make them run faster. I mean, nobody has ever shipped a, a production 4 gigahertz part, as far as I know, and 5 gigahertz remains. And so what we're doing is like is making these parts with tons and tons of cores that run slower. So if the one that we're shipping right now, the Niagara, uh, the T1 we call it, uh, is like it's got uh, eight cores with four hardware threads for each one, so you can keep in fantastically high memory bandwidth. And it only runs at 1.2 gigahertz, so it's cool. It doesn't burn all that power. Right. And so this is what we're doing now, but everybody else is working on the same thing, AMD, Intel, IBM. And so that means... That you almost would say that shared nothing and it's this wide scaling totally, is the way of the future, so, right? So totally. If you're going to get want to get immensely high throughput, particularly in you know, webby, database-y, transaction-y kind of applications... Which is the bulk of the applications out there, right? Absolutely. Uh, you need you you gotta figure out how to run everything in a you know a concurrent parallel uh, minimum amount of shared stuff if, if you're going to get to first base, and you know that, that's an opportunity for us. But you know actually uh, I think that um, it's it's actually a bit of a, a sore point with the dynamic languages, which tend to have fairly weak threading implementations. Right. So we see some work being done on getting Ruby uh, up to speed, so to speak. With the th- with the threading issue, so now hasn't been an issue because we scale by with, with processes. Where do you see Ruby going in a couple of years? I mean, do you have enough insight as to? I don't know. I think I think that the I, I'm still kind of a newbie in this community. Okay, okay. and I, I've only ever put one small Ruby program into production, okay. so, so don't call me an expert. But if I read the tea leaves right, I get a feeling that the community is kind of unsatisfied with several aspects of the current Ruby, you know, 1.8 or whatever right. implementation. Um, Actually, let's let's take this in another direction because one of the ways that Ruby could theoretically get faster would be to leverage Java's threading model. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, there's the JRuby project. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, uh, JRuby successfully executed a Rails request. Yeah, that was news two, we got two days ago. Two days ago. You should announce yes, it over there. Yeah. And, and uh, I just read about someone using JRuby to make a session bean call and get yeah. data back. And it worked. Wow. That's astounding. In five lines of Ruby. So, so David's going to have to take back all the bad things he said about Java. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so th- that's actually potentially interesting. Now, I don't think that, you know, the Ruby ecosystem as a whole is going to migrate onto the JVM. No, but as but a deployment think, platform, but, it makes yeah, sense, absolutely. right? Absolutely. But I think as a deployment platform for certain kinds of applications, the JVM is going to have lots of advantages because, say what you will about Java, it gets threading right. Yeah. I mean, Java really gets threading right. Java apps can execute blazingly fast. Yeah, though. absolutely. And, and actually, even though JRuby is still a pretty embryonic code base, they're actually using native Java threads for, for, their, for the Ruby threads. Why wouldn't you? I mean, well, why would, yeah. well, I think it took them some extra work to do it. Did it? Yeah. Okay. But... Um, so clearly there's an interesting direction forward there. Why does JRuby have an advantage over, like, Groovy? Because someone did a groove, you know, Groovy on Grails, right. which, you know, as a, as a Rails knockoff, and they didn't quite get it right. So well, uh, what's going on there? Look around you. Listen to the noise. You know, yeah. Rails has a community. You know, Groovy is just a good idea at this point. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that the you know, collective wisdom of the developer community is... It's something to be respected, and, and you know the fact that there's this immense number of people. Um, you know how many two hundred people willing to come to a conference to in, in, in yeah. Vancouver uh, is indication that there's uh, this is a, a hot place with hot action. So, so no one's out there writing a base camp in Groovy, to my knowledge. Where do you stand on the whole frameworks are extracted mentality? Oh, I, I'm, I'm totally a member of that church. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, not just frameworks, but just you know, successful standards are extracted. You know, successful protocols are extracted. Uh, frameworks. That, you know, it, it, there, there's a famous uh, utterance called Gall's Law by John Gall. I don't even know who John Gall was, but John we need to Gall, teach a lot more people this law. Actually, John Gall's Law says whenever you encounter an instance of a complex system that's working and successful, you will discover that it grew from a system that was originally a simple system that was working. You know, you, you can't build big, complicated systems from right scratch. Off the bat, yeah. You have to, you know, start start small and simple, hit an 80-20 point. How does that apply to the success of XML for, for those people that might not well, realize that's it? A, a, XML is a classic case of that. There was a prior standard called SGML right. that was became an ISO standard in 1986. And, and how long had it been around since before then? I well, mean, it's like, it had been talked about, but it, you right. know, it really... It became an ISO standard in, in nineteen. It was a simple standard, too, right? No, it was not. No? It was a great, big, huge, honking, sprawling but thing. But XML is not around anymore, not really, right? That's right. So what XML did was it took the lessons of 10 years with SGML, yep. threw away 90%, you know, really made crisp the 10% that did work, added Unicode so that it would be properly yeah, internationalized, yeah. and shipped the sucker, and it changed the world. Absolutely. So, where we, uh, what are we excited about at this conference? You know, what uh, what are you excited about at this conference that you've seen so far? Uh, let me see. I, th- I thought uh, uh, the uh, presentation by Dave Astles on, on behavior during development. development. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was tremendous. I mean, I, I didn't even know about him, and I care a lot about test-driven development. And it's clear that you know. There's some outstandingly good work going on there. You know, one of the key differentiators that he, he's trying to make is that uh, it's, it's invalid to call it test-driven development in a way because test implies verification. You know, test implies something that comes after you code. So it's, there's always been kind of this paradoxical situation of your mind says it happens after, but we're all this agile evangelists are waving our arms and saying, no, it's so much better if you do it before. Right. So what they're trying to do is to change the lingo so that we can change how we right. think I mean, about you know, it. It's, it's your classic George Lakoff framing approach, right? You know, you, you frame something with language and that, that puts a spin on it that, that, that you want to spin. And, and I think Dave is trying to, you know, is, is noticed that, you know, testing has bad karma historically. Right. Testers aren't as, you know, cool as developers, and so I think he's trying to, to, to frame that away. But having said that, I agree, you know, you know, you, 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 the, in, in, to, to a substantial extent, the, the test should define the semantics of the application. Yeah. So that was exciting. Uh, you just gave a talk? Yeah, I talked about... Turn the tables a little bit. What did you my, talk about? My graphing library, which, you know, of course, many graphing libraries out there, but it's great to see people interested in that, enhancing it, sending in patches, and using it in interesting ways. I thought it was relevant, you know, XML and a variety of web services, how David was talking about maybe the future of Rails, where you're, a single method could handle all types of requests mm-hmm. for REST services, JavaScript, HTML, whatever. I think that's a, a great development a- because web services was, are all over the place now. That, was, that was totally, I thought, the best part of David's talk. Uh, I mean, there's always been a bit of an impedance mismatch between uh, the Rails sort of path view of the world and the web's resource view of the world, right. and those guys spotted it. The Rails crew. So you put spotted. one of David's uh, graphics on your blog today. A pointer to it. You know, his, his to WS it, yeah. Death Star. I thought that was absolutely great. And I, I guarantee, I did that this morning. I guarantee by this time tomorrow, well, it's a long weekend, but I guarantee that one's going to get picked up. Definitely. Go all over the internet. That's yeah. very clever. The uh, the resting approach, you know, basically referring to things as resources establishing simple operations around them. 
very pragmatic, right? And clearly distinguishing between uh, safe read-only transactions and transactions that change state. You know? Definitely. And a lot of the stuff that we saw is coming up in uh, in Rails. Uh, was it 2.0 or 1. 1.2? 1.2. 1.2. They're going to start putting, uh, basically, to facilitate a controller being able to handle a couple of resources. And, you know, yeah. That's really important because, you know, much and all Rails is, is, a, is a huge success. Uh, you know... Perl isn't going away, right? You know, COBOL isn't going away. Right. Well, and somehow you're going to have to talk back and forth between these things. And the only way I can see of doing it is by sending messages back and forth. And since we've got this terrific HTTP message infrastructure, why wouldn't you use that for everything, right? Okay. So you invited Dave over. You should. I invited Dave over. Uh, <laughs> Davis Stells, everyone. Uh, Davis Stells is working on some great uh, behavior-driven development stuff. He is now part of the yeah. podcast. He is now part of the podcast, yeah. This is the benefit of doing it on the open, right? Cool. So you want to tell us a little bit about what you presented on yesterday? Sure. And I talked about behavior-driven development in Ruby, which is a slightly different way of looking at test-driven development. Um, what is the biggest difference? biggest difference is the point of view you bring to it. Okay. You start thinking in terms of writing specifications for the code that you want to end up with as opposed to writing tests for code that you don't have yet. So, Which is kind of non-intuitive. Is this an addition to unit tests? No, this will take the place of unit tests. It would be an alternative to unit tests. Does it take the place of functional and uh, integration no, tests as well? not at all. Those are totally different things. So, so would, it be be fair to, would it be fair to say that to a certain extent you're trying to wiggle out from under the bad karma of the word test? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's what started it all. Um, teaching people TDD, I, I, I saw the same mistakes being done time and time again. And eventually it dawned on me that a lot of it was because of the, the testing verification-centric baggage that, that people were bringing into it because of the word test that you, was all over the place. you think we could treat this in a subversive way and actually get non-agile thinking kind of people to buy into it because you're not saying test first, you're saying specification, you know, or functional... Re- There's a whole community out there that's really hard to reach that's still, you know, still like waterfall in, thinking. But yeah, big requirements, stocks, and things like this. Yeah. I mean... I, I don't know. I mean, it, it does avoid the whole issue of, well, why would I write my test first? That's something I do after I have my system, then I test right. it. But you're not. But you're writing a specification, that's right? right? For and the system that you want. It makes sense to do a specification yeah. up front. Yeah. And you're doing it in small pieces incrementally Absolutely. and you're the same way. That's, that's the radical part. But, you know, doing the specification up front yeah. and making it executable, those are both conventional wisdom. Doing it in little pieces, that's the radical idea. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's... Behavior-driven development deals with very fine-grained specifications, so you'd still do, you still have your, your large requirements phase. Or you build up your requirements so you have an idea of what the whole system does. Sort of high-level Actually, we were talking about this yesterday. You know, yeah. Could you go through yeah. with BDD and like write a bunch of scripts up front? No, you wouldn't. Is there I mean, pain? Kind of Would diff- there be pain in doing that? Yeah, because as you work through it, you discover more about what you're trying to do. And then you have to change everything and backfill it or not bother and come up with something that doesn't fit. What's your perspective on adoption of technology, uh, you know, alongside the pain of uh, implementing it or, or, or getting that adoption? Well, the fact of the matter is that, you know, most people who are professional programmers don't do new development most of the time. You know, they almost all spend all their time, you know, fixing bugs, doing little enhancements, you know, you know handling the new currency in the system, you know, that kind of stuff. And that makes it difficult to introduce something like BDD, doesn't it? I think it does, actually. It does, because somehow you have to 
find a crack to slip it into. Right, and it's worse than that. It makes it hard to introduce things like Ruby. It makes it hard yeah. to introduce oh, yeah, things like absolutely. Rails, right? Because you know, you say, well, if I'm going to build, if somebody's going to do a new Greenfield project, I can go in and make a very powerful pitch that they should be looking at Rails or something like that to, to do it in. On the other hand, you know, if I'm going to add a, you know, a European currency invocation module to my existing uh, insurance system, right. boy, that's a tougher sell. Uh, unless yeah. Rails advocates start becoming smart SOA advocates. Well, absolutely. If we can, if we can actually, you know, get past the WS Death Star and right. and get some, you know, lightweight, easy to understand frameworks for hooking things together by message passing, probably over HTTP, then then you got an easier sell. Is SOA you think too polluted by the by the vendors and their their agendas? I have no idea what SOA means. <laughs> See a show of hands. Anyone that understands what SOA means. Oh, no one, no one raised their hand. Well, I noticed when you know David crapped all over WS Star in his keynote yesterday, and yeah. he got no pushback in the room. And I was poking around the blogs; he got no pushback on the internet that I saw. No, I think it's a pretty wide sentiment. But you know, building systems in decoupled ways—that makes sense. Yeah. As long as you do it in a lightweight way. Sure. Building, so. It's the only option. I mean, you know, every business out there that has more than ten people working at it. Has all sorts of incompatible yeah, application cool. infrastructure, and I'm sorry those old applications aren't going to get thrown out. You know, we, we just got to learn how to live with them and, and work with them. So, from a software sense, we talked about the hardware before. Sun, Sun should love Ruby from a hardware sense. From a software sense, we know that there, there, there may be some Java people that are threatened by Ruby, right? Well, I think Sun has been guilty at some point over the last decade of sort of saying, "Well, if you're not using Java, you're a dork." Right. Um, and, and I think, uh, well, I only joined Sun two years ago, so I, right. I can claim to be relatively free of that baggage. But hey, you know. Hey, in a nutshell, I, I, why, why do you join pro. Sun? Why do I join Sun? Uh, because uh, I'm an old Unix guy. Okay. <laughs> I'm an old Unix guy. And also, you know, Sun had been doing that great. And I met some people who were moving into, into management there who I thought really might be able to turn it around and, and save it. And I thought it would be cool to be part of it. Sounds great. So, but, you know, so I think that we got to get past the Java is everything. Right. On the other hand, you know, there are literally millions and millions of Java developers out there who are living in that environment every day, and I totally want to try and bring Ruby and Python. And do you, do you see Ruby and Python as you know having equal footing? I mean, is there? I think Ruby's a little bit more elegant uh, in some of the facilities it offers. You know, the self-argument bothers me in Python. It really does. On the other hand, all those stupid end statements in Ruby bother me. They don't need to be there. Python is correct about indentation. Um, uh, the, uh, I think, actually, Python is, is ahead in some of its libraries. Um, and I think it's ahead in performance, but that can be fixed. How about all the other softer aspects of but, what but, would no, that sorry, make Rails? The crucial thing is Rails, okay? Yeah. You know, Ru Ruby was a beautiful but unloved uh, girl sitting in the corner of the high school gym, and all of a sudden Rails came along, and she's the belle of the ball. So, you know, community matters more than anything. I'm sure there are eight other dynamic languages out there that are much better than Ruby, but, you know, they don't have a community who cares, right? right. And as a result of Rails, Ruby suddenly has a community, and it's, it's, a, it's a fine thing. Great. Well, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Dave. We uh, are definitely having a good time here. we got a few more talks to go and a lot of stuff to blog about, right? Yeah, actually, the, uh, there's also already a lot of traffic about this conference. I was walking around last night. Was, uh, right on. Cool. Sounds good. Thank you, everyone. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker.